I am Michael. I'm a small business owner, investor, a work in process, improv artist, a bit manic and always looking for something new and interesting to entertain me. I'm a TV host and your host right now for what we call the Second Scene Podcast, a dweebs global production where you can go for free resume help, mental health assistance, and so much more. And there's no catch. We're completely confidential and we're free. We're free. Just go to dweebsglobal.org. It's free. I swear it's free. So I am here today with Nicolette. Oh, I am not good with pronouncing names. Can you help me out with the last name? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my surname is Shinomana. Shinomana. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think you got pretty close right there. I can't pronounce anyone's names. I do this every episode. So, mm -hmm. so you started your career as a business strategist. And mm -hmm. uh, now, now, against your parents' best wishes, you become an expert in wine, and you've written a book called Wine for Mere Mortals. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's really against, um, but my parents' uh, best wishes, I know it's definitely against my mom's best wishes. She actually doesn't know anything about it, and I plan to keep it that way. Uh, my dad, I think he just kind of took it. He was just like, oh, you're, you're out of book about life okay you know he just he's he's kind of used to the way that his daughters do tend to be a bit crazy so he just takes it as it comes um you grew up in Botswana and um where did you go to school uh interesting story I went to two primary schools which I guess is your equivalent of elementary um I was uh, my, my parents were both programmers, so when I was a child, my mom bought me a, a little learning computer, so a little, little uh, sort of like laptop type of thing, you know, to teach you math and English and all of that stuff, and um, I used to play a lot with it, and so she sends me off to grade one, first grade, and, you know, I'm bored because I understand everything. I'm doing all the sums in like five minutes and sitting there and looking at everybody, and then they're like, okay, okay, she, she's pretty smart okay let's send her to the second grade oh my god I saw fire I saw dust in the second grade it was really 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 chaotic and then after that uh, sometime in the second grade I was moved to a Muslim school because um, it was the best um, private school at that time in the country so I finished my elementary um in the Muslim school. And then I went off to boarding school for high school. And then I did three different high schools. Okay. Where was the, where was the boarding school? Was it still in the same country or? Uh, no, the boarding school was in Zimbabwe. Um, I, I, I was very unceremoniously shipped off to this boarding school, a uh, school that I, I sometimes still have nightmares about, you know, if you hear all those stories about boarding school, no, that school, definitely all the stories are true really? about that school. Yes. I, oh gosh, I hated that school. I, at some point I told myself I was going to get stinking urge one day and buy the entire school and just set it on fire. <laughs> like that was my big ambition at some point in my life. Um, and then my mom moved me to another high school in South Africa. I went to the international school of South Africa. So that was a whole lot different, um, definitely a very, very different experience because it was a school, I guess, for very privileged people because my family, I guess we are middle class. So it was, you know, for upper middle class, you know, to get to mix with keep uh, children of CEOs, ambassadors, that sort of thing. And it was a bit chaotic. Uh, it was, uh, it, it, the school didn't have enough rules, which is a weird thing for a teenager to say. <laughs> but when I moved- 
They were coming yeah. from one with extreme rules. I mean, it was. Uh... Yeah, yeah. But then to go to almost no rules, because I remember we were in the most unruly boarding house. And at some point we made our boarding mistress actually just burst into tears. You know, that's how hectic it was. And so um, by the time that I went to my third high school for my last two years of school, it was literally like, it was like, oh my God, rules. I'm so happy that there are rules here. Give me more rules. Tell me how to stand straight and how to polish my shoes. I need the structure. <laughs> so you told me you didn't get in trouble. And then you told me you made your, your, your in charge. No, no. Other cry. people did. I was watching on the periphery <laughs> as they made her cry. I mean, I was that person, you know, because I had my, my room in high school was a ground floor room. So my friends would actually use my room to jump out the windows, you know, at night and then jump back in in the morning. It was crazy because apparently, um, so we have this thing here in Africa called burglar bars. So they're these steel bars that are over like your windows that none can come in and out. So apparently this is the, the story um, that they designed these bars in such a way that if there was ever a fire, no matter how huge you are, you could squeeze through those bars. I never ever tried it, but I have some doubts but I do know that um, my friends who were more on the slender side did you know, jump in and out of my window. And that, that was always interesting. I just had no desire for that. I mean, I guess I was a nerd in a way. I mean, all I wanted was to read, like read books. Um, been a fan of reading for the longest time, I guess that's kind of why I've gotten into writing um, everything that I've been writing. I love writing. The only bad thing, that resulted from boarding school is I hate the words good morning. I hate the words good morning. How could you hate the words good up morning? Somebody. I hate those words. I hate it. I once broke up with a guy because he kept saying good morning to me. <laughs> and that is because in boarding school, we were forced to say good morning. It wasn't like a natural thing of, hi, how are you? Good morning. We didn't say good morning to each other. Like, you know, your regular friends. That was something that was expected of you for your superiors, for prefects for people who are higher up on the social scale than you. So it's something that I actually came to resent quite a bit. So whenever someone, whenever someone looks at me and it's like, oh, you haven't said good morning to us. I always say, why should I say good morning to you? Why didn't you greet me first? You know, it, it always rankles me whenever I'm expected to say those words. Um, and I tend to find that even with most of my interactions, I don't really say good morning to anyone. I just you know, start a conversation with people. So that's, that's one of my quirks. Got you. Were you, did you have any resentment towards your parents for sending you to boarding school? Um, initially I did. I, I did for the first boarding school. For the first boarding school, because um, my parents were kind of going through a, a, a very late custody battle of me because my dad was moving to the U.S. And um, so his, his I, I, from what I understand at the time, that, that was his compromises. Okay, if I'm not going to have her, then she's going to go off to boarding school. And then his friend was like, oh, send her to this boarding school, you know, and then he literally just went and ditched me there you know? And I remember the first uh, three weeks, I cried myself to sleep every single night. I was just like, what is this? This It was, it was a, I, I guess I wasn't really prepared for it in that sense. And also because it was so far away, like um, I, because I grew up in Botswana, I've never really spent time in Zimbabwe, although that's where I'm from, unless it was um, a holiday if I was going to see my granny. So suddenly to be thrown into the school with all of these rules, with all of these 
people, you know, with all of these teachers and, and, and all of this chaos, it was just, it was a bit overwhelming, definitely. Um, but then I grew to like it. Um, I kind of view boarding school now as like one gigantic sleepover with your friends and your enemies. So yeah. Got you. That's kind of a, if, if I can't have you, your mom can't have you either. That's, that's, that's what it's yeah. Like. yeah. Uh, it's something like that. I don't, it's so it's always complicated, you know, when you come from a, a broken home, and I guess it's 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 stuff that you only really have a better understanding of when you're older. That's when you kind of look back at everyone and and say, okay, so I think this is what might have been going on. So yeah. Got you. I don't think many people know anything about Botswana. So you can you give us a little rundown of. Hmm. Well, I would say that our greatest um, claim to fame is the diamonds. Our entire economy is based on diamonds. We've got a ton of them. Um, another thing that I often tell people who don't know anything about Botswana is, apart from the fact that we have this amazing wildlife, um, the country is mostly desert. So you tend to find that a lot of the main cities are along the edge of the country. And then you have the mining towns in the center of the country. And some random fun fact is that that Prince Harry proposed to Meghan Markle here. So yeah. <laughs> the claim to fame. Mm. How is, is the diamond trade? You know, we all hear about diamonds and we hear blood diamonds and how horrible it is. Is, mm -hmm. is that what it's really like? Um, not in Botswana, no. Um, Botswana has been a democratic country since its inception about 66 years ago. Uh, so it's one of the best places to get um, diamonds that aren't you know involved in conflict or mired with war and that type of thing it's a very democratic country yeah so we don't actually have that um i don't Botswana has never actually ever gotten into a war really so yeah our, our diamonds are clean oh what a peaceful place to live that's mm, wonderful it is very peaceful so i actually deal in diamonds myself so it's always a, oh. it's a thing it's an interesting uh it's an interesting Lovely. avenue for me. I deal in used diamonds, but mm. I don't know if you know much about diamonds, but now they're making them in the lab, which is really cutting into, mm -hmm. has that affected? Um, I don't know. I kind of feel like, um, I, I, I look, I'm, I'm a person who's a fan of conservation and, and looking at alternative ways of doing things. And there has been a discussion in Botswana about, you know, um, needing to diversify the economy because you can't rely on diamonds forever. Um, so I've always found the whole idea of people making diamonds in labs a bit fascinating. Uh, so whenever I want to um, terrify my relatives, I tell them that when I when I die, I want to get cremated, and then I, I want the ashes to be compressed into a diamond and made into a ring that I'm going to give one of my uh, favorite relatives. So I'm sure that that will inspire a few ghost tales in years to come. Yes, yes, and I'm sure that'll be a service that is provided in the not so distant future. So mm -hmm. I think that'll be a good way to go. I might follow you with that. I, mm -hmm. I like that a lot. All right, well, let's move to uh, your business strategist, correct? Mm -hmm. That's your that's your main career, or where? where yeah, you... it it is right now. <laughs> I'd actually call it more like a, I use the word business strategist because whenever we use the word business coach here, people don't know what a business coach is here, like in the region of the world in which I'm at, but they understand the word strategist better. Got you. Okay, so it's that's another it's another word for business business coach. Mm -hmm. Uh, what type, what do you work for individuals or companies? Um, I work for individuals. I predominantly work with startups. Um, and what I do, my area of focus is helping people develop their ideas. 
practice. Um, I'm one of the people who has been blessed to be intuitively creative. Um, and I think I've kind of helped that along by, you know, reading a lot, you know, I'm constantly watching some video, some documentary or some article or something of that sort. So what I really want to do here is, you know, there's so many people that have an idea, a concept, something they want to build, but every single person thinks that their idea is the most wonderful idea in the world. And I'm the person who sits down with them and says, nah, what's really special about this? This isn't really that special. You need to work on this because, you know, I mean, the world in which we live now, we live in, um, in an attention economy. So a lot of the times, you know, you could have an amazing product, something, you know, that can blow everyone out of the water. But if you can't get attention for it, if you can't get people to actually look at what you're doing, then you're going to flounder. Right, right. Uh, so, you, so you guide them with essentially their marketing in a way. Yeah, and well, marketing, not so much. I, I, I feel like marketing and conceptualization or product development can sometimes be two different things because marketing is how you basically inform people of what you have but then once they actually come and see what you have it should be amazing for them once the product actually gets into their hands it should be something that makes them go oh wow ha ah, i like this oh this is interesting that's different you know because at the end of the day i believe that you know when you're creating a product it's about connecting with people whatever it is that you're selling it's about connecting with people and it's about connecting with yourself as well as a person, because I tend to find that, you know, part of my process and working with my clients is actually saying, you know, but who are you as a person, you know, because so many people are not, are not self-aware. They don't know who they are. And I always ask, well, how do you develop a business if you don't know who you are? Because your business is always going to speak for you. Whatever you develop is coming from you. So if it is not developed taking your strengths your weaknesses your your loves your your you know whatever it is that you're passionate about into consideration then what what exactly are you doing because i've noticed that we have a problem with entrepreneurs burning out or losing interest you know i know entrepreneurs that start a new project every six months and it's like why are you doing this it's because you haven't found one a product that you love a product that you know you can identify with and if you can't identify with this product how are you going to sell it because at the end of the day i would like to believe that you know whoever you're selling to is like you you understand them because they're like you but then if you don't even understand yourself and your product is not even geared or developed with, with an understanding of who you want and what you want and the need that you're fulfilling then you're not going to be able to sell it you know so it's about taking that war product or skill that a person has and aligning it with who they are and aligning it with who they are and then enabling them to communicate that you know what my name is this and I'm passionate about this and so I've created this product and I feel that you are going to benefit from it because this is how it has changed my life because at the end of the day people want authenticity people don't just want someone to sell something to them for the sake of oh yeah I want to make money you know we want to buy from people that we believe, truly believe in what they're selling and they would use it themselves. Right. You always hear people, you know, best way to do it is to tell a story, tell your story. But you just, you just described that so well. I've never heard it um, in so much detail. It, it Thank makes you. a lot of sense. That was very, very well spoken. Um, yeah, I'm going to go back and listen to that later and, and <laughs> look back at my businesses that I have to see um, how I can bring it more into myself. So how did you get into writing? Um, 
I've always used writing as an outlet for my emotions. I had a lot of emotions and, um, and I, I, I've struggled with depression for the longest time since I was actually a child. And um, on how I started using writing as an outlet is that my first outlet was reading. I was a ferocious reader. So, I mean, I was reading Stephen King novels by the time I was in the fifth grade in one day. Um, that's how much I loved um, reading. And then uh, at some point during my childhood, when I was with my father, I don't know what got him into this, you know, frame of mind, but he used to make me write a story every single day after school about my day. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And, uh, and then it kind of grew on me because I realized, you know, as I became a teenager and I was experiencing all of these emotions that you know, writing gave me a, a place to express it instead of just letting it, you know, just sit on me and, uh, and and basically just drive me crazy. So I and I think that's kind of why I developed the love for writing. And then as I grew up, as I became slightly older, then it became a process of exploring ideas of creating new worlds, new stories, that sort of thing. The writing has really helped you out of the depression? Well, it doesn't help me out, but it, it, it helps me express. Because I kind of, I think I'll describe depression sometimes as like having a storm and it's like inside you. And if you don't let it out, you know, or ease the tension somewhat, you know, it can often sometimes just, you know, explode or, you know, send you into a spiral. So writing allows me to, I guess, to center myself and also to funnel some of the um, emotions that I'm feeling into other people. I would say that, you know, um, when you're a writer, it's almost like you're, you're God, you're a God, you know, because you're just, you're creating this world and you're doing all of these things to these um, poor souls <laughs> that have come out of your mind and you're just like oh you're gonna die now oops sorry oh so sad oh everyone's crying oh you're gonna fall in love you're in love oh wow that's amazing we're so happy that you're in love so it's very complicated I was participating in a NaNoWriMo I don't know if you've heard of that no what is that uh, NaNoWriMo is National Writing Month it actually started a few years ago in the U.S. And now it's basically become a global thing. So the challenge is to write um, 50,000 words in the month of November. And um, I've always chickened out of doing nano. And uh, this year I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do nano. Yeah, you know, 1,667 words a day. We're going to do this. Let's do this. And then I'd open up my computer and I'd be terrified. Absolutely terrified. Absolutely just terrified. I'm having anxiety attacks. I'm just like, I can't do this. But then now my dad had bought me the writing software and I promised him that every day I'd said what I had written. And I was like, oh, okay, let's, let's sit and let's do this, you know? So throughout the, the, the month of November, I did finish the 50,000 words actually on the 24th. And um, so I was, um, the other thing I did is I, I made a group to hold me accountable on Facebook. I call my beta readers. So I post every single day. And if I didn't post, they'll be like, hey, where's our stuff? Like, where's our words? You know, so they kept me accountable. But I realized through that process that writing is very complicated. It's, it changes and it evolves as you as a person evolve. There is um, there's a book by an Israeli author um, one of the books is called My Michael. Um, 
and I forgot what the other name of the book is, but there's a phrase that I like. Um, and the, the lady in it says, when I was young, I had, I had the power to love, but now I am losing the power to love um, and I don't want to die. And basically the theme of that was that when you're young, you have something in you and that thing is what gives you life. And then as you lose that, you're slowly dying. And as I was reflecting on why I'm so terrified of writing, why it's so anxiety inducing, despite the fact that my beta readers are like, we love this, keep writing. How are you coming up with this stuff? Because I'm writing a fantasy novel. Um, and I realized that it's because when I was young, I had more heart. I had more things that I was feeling, more things that I was exploring in terms of my emotions. I was more intense. And so it was easy for me to write then because I was writing from emotion. And I've actually had to be honest with myself and say, you know, as I've grown older, I've become shallow. And I was afraid to start writing because I was afraid that everything I'd write would be shallow, that my characters would be shallow. And what I discovered in that process was that I learned now to write from my creative brain. Whereas when I was younger, I wrote my emotional brain, but now my creative brain is coming in and saying, okay, now we're putting all of this interesting stuff. Now we're writing these weird and wonderful fantasy creatures. And it's, it's given me an opportunity to tap into something I've never tapped into before and kind of, kind of work my way around that. But then at the end of the day, as a person, if you have this thought in you that you've become more shallow, that is very deep thought to have. It says things about you. So at the end of the day, if you're a writer and you're creating a world, sometimes it's it's scary to create that world because of what it's going to say about who you are as a person, how you've grown, what you have learned, what you feel. And that is a terrifying thing to happen. Yeah. You know, I've, I've dealt with depression my whole life. And, uh, you know, I can think back to high school and college when I would be so creative and I would do these short films and just just express with no judgment and then you know got into my 30s and it was like I want to do this but then you'd stop because you'd immediately judge what was coming out of your brain and uh, you'd be embarrassed by it or you'd be ashamed by it or um, I'm getting back to a part in my life right now where I'm I'm kind of you know not writing but I'm understanding the creativity and it's bringing back a little more of the freedom and the yeah it's 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 feeling good I, I completely understand what you're saying and, and I'm kind of working through some of the same stuff. What's your novel about, your fantasy novel? Oh my God, that's complicated. Okay, uh, long story short, um, it's based on a world where there used to be six great beasts um, and then humans came along and then the humans and the beasts had a, you know, we don't like you, we want to kill you, let's try and kill each other. And then after some time they made peace and then the beasts endowed the people that lived around them with certain powers, um, uh, certain magical abilities, certain abilities to transform. And then as time went on, the beasts started dying off, you know, as is the nature of things, you know, you can't live forever. And the other great beasts were all like, okay, time's up, we're going, we're out, it's good. And then there was this one dragon called Val who was like, nope, I'm not going anywhere. And uh, what I'm going to do is, since all of the other great beasts are gone, is I'm basically going to rule this entire planet. 
So it's about, you know, the, the kind of like the backstory of the war that they had to fight to defeat him. And then, you know, now the, the story is starting off like over a thousand years later when, you know, magic is starting to kind of pop into the world. And everyone is like, wait, you mean this stuff really exists? We thought that was just like a legend. Like, uh, we're not comfortable with this. It's really happening. So, yeah, something in, in the line of those things. Um, I know you go by a pseudonym. A pseudonym, uh, Nikki Page. What's the reason for that? Or how'd you come up with Nikki Page? Because in case my mom actually Googled my name. That was why. <laughs> that makes sense. It's all, it's all for mother. Um, I, I did, however, decide to release a second edition of my book with my own name on it because I was like, yeah, if she finds out about it, I'm just going to like, well, so what are you going to do now? <laughs> um, but that was it. Um, the, the Nikki Page of it was that a lot of my friends uh, sometimes call me Nikki. And that particular spelling of Nikki was actually uh, made up by an ex that, thank God, he's gone. But it was a very interesting spelling of Nikki, so I decided to keep that and, you know, get rid of him. And uh, and the page was well, you're right. When it comes through your life, there's, a good, there's something good to come out of it. So you, you found the yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> no. I guess so. I guess so. So, yeah. Okay. Um, I was reading a bit about you and um, you've been dreaming about wine for a long time. When was the first time you, you thought about wine or had the first taste? Oh gosh, when was my first taste of wine? Um, it, I had some really cheap wine in my second boarding school, the one I told you about, the International School of with Um, Some friends went and they got some, you know, like wine in a box, which was, I feel like it was just homemade somewhere. And I was like, okay, we're getting five liters. So each of you is taking one liter. And that was the first and last time I ever got drunk in high school. We just ran around the school doing all sorts of chaos. Um, but I don't even remember what it tasted like. And the second experience, I remember I bought a bottle of wine for my mom's birthday and I picked the wrong one. And it just, it, it was the wrong one for our palates and it tasted terrible. And then I was just like, okay, perhaps we shall not do this experiment like this again. And then around the age of 25, that's when I decided to actually start drinking because I've never been much of a drinker. Um, I've, I've never been one of those people who needed um, alcohol to have fun. You know, I've always been a bookworm. So I actually, it was a learning process for me. It was a process of saying, hey, you know, I want to learn about wine. I want to learn about wine culture. So what do you think it was all about, though, that really brought you into wine and wanting to get the release? Is it purely the taste or is it also because you you want the release and and the, the relaxation it gives you? Like wine definitely relaxes and... Um... Um, that's a very good question. I think for me, it was more of the learning exercise when I got into it. I like learning new things. Um, I'm the type of person who will do a random course on a random topic. I mean, I was recently doing a, a course on making cheese or sausages or whatever, you know. So for me, it was like, I want to understand this particular culture, this particular thing. And then as I started drinking it, then I began to appreciate it because wine then got me into sampling other types of alcohol, you know. And I like the fact that, you know, with wine, it's it's more nuanced than a lot of other alcohols. You know, it, it has a lot of personality, which was something that I picked up and integrated into my book. And I like the fact that, you know, it wasn't a one size fits all, you know, the way that perhaps vodka is or other types of you know, what types of alcohol, you know, it's like they're, they're wines for different days, different moods, different feelings. And I like that because, you know, as somebody that suffered from depression and anxiety, sometimes it often seems as if, you know, 
today I'm feeling happy, today I'm feeling super low, tomorrow I'm feeling blank, you know, tomorrow I'm feeling hyper and intense, you know. So I liked the fact that when it came to wine, I could find one that I could always drink, you know, what, depending on what I'm feeling at that particular time. And I also like the fact that it's it's a very, for me, it's a social thing, you know, because I realized one of the things I love, the, the, the my absolute favorite thing in the world, apart from puppies and kittens and furry little cute animals, is food with friends and wine, you know, just, and and having good conversation. I've never been that type of person to be like, oh my gosh, it's time for us to go out. So I'm getting dressed and I'm going out and we're gonna dance all night. I've never been that type of person. I want it to be food, I want everyone to sit and I want everyone to drink and I want to talk about education, religion, politics, everything. I want um I want good discussion with good food and good drinks. Well, you do really enjoy the the aspect of wine that loosens loosens you up. It makes makes people uh, freer to, to speak what's on their mind and, and share thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah definitely uh, mm -hmm. I enjoy that aspect of, of it myself. It's also a form of expression for you it seems um <laughs> yeah i guess i guess you could say so it was actually an outlet because i have a confession to make so um i was doing my mba um it was my last three courses of my mba because i did my mba long distance i got a scholarship and um i was fed up i was sick and tired of reading i was sick and tired of exams because i I, I do not like formal school. I do not like formal education at all, but I got the scholarship. I applied for it. I told them a lot of nice things so they would give it to me. So I was going to fulfill my duty to them. And I remember after I finished, you know, I'm done. I've written the last exam. I'm confident I've passed. I needed something to switch over, to switch my mind into something just to erase everything I had just learned from reading these textbooks, just erase it all from my mind. And I thought, you know, it would be really good to write a guide to wine because I was sick and tired of my friends never understanding wine. What is Merlot? What is Chardonnay? What is all of this? You know, I was always just, uh, always having to explain it to them. So then I figured out a way of making them remember. I was like, okay, let's compare the different types of wine to the different types of people you might date. And then suddenly everyone perked up and was like, well, tell us more. We want to hear this, you know. So that was um, kind of the, the, the way that I approached the book. Okay. Um, is comparing different types of wine to different types of people you might date, you know. And and I always I do say in the book that it's tongue in cheek. It is dependent on me, you know, and my taste. But everyone has to also, you know, find their own way of viewing it. You know, everyone has to find their own sense of what you know wine means to them. But it does make it a lot easier, I've noticed, for people to remember it and you know, to, I guess to enjoy it, you know, and and. Silly little things, you know, I always say, you know, my book isn't very big. It's not a very thick book. Um, you can read it in a day, but I wanted to write something that, you know, from the moment you read it to the moment you finish reading it about two hours later, whatever, you know, everything you need to know about getting your first bottle of wine. You know, I even put in a wine map, you know, because I notice a lot of people have bad experiences with wine because they're like, oh, it's made of grapes. It's gonna taste like grape juice. And then they get them below and then they drink it. It tastes nothing like grape juice, you know, <laughs> such a bad experience. So I thought, okay, let me show them how, okay, so you start with this and then you start with this and then that's how you slowly work your way, you know, towards developing your palate.
Well, that's a hilarious way to, to do it, to compare it to your exes. I, I love that. I'm going to, I'm, I haven't read the book yet. I'm looking forward to reading it because um, I'm going <laughs> to, I have a palette I can, I can compare it to. You'll let me know if it yeah. aligns. Yes. I know my taste in wine changes throughout time. I was, mm. I, I don't know that I drink a lot of wine. I don't know mm. a lot enough about wine though. And I always feel kind of stupid when people ask, they'll be like, what do you drink? I'm like, I drink wine all the time. They'll start talking about wine and they're like, I'm clueless. I mean, I, I liked Malbec's for a while. Right now I'm on a mm. Pinot Noir kick, but then somebody will give me something else, a uh, Cabernet. And I'll be like, oh, that's wonderful. It must be a per, uh, mm. Pinot because that's what I'm on. And it's not. And <laughs> mm. It's uh, I'm kind of yeah, because I've noticed that I, I think it's because as we grow as people, our tastes change. That's that's just you know the way that it is. Our brain chemistry changes, so even the type of music that we like also changes. I think it's just part of the process of evolution. But I always say, you know, people should never stick uh, uh, to just one type or one class of wine. I mean, I had a friend who was like, I only drink white wine. And I, I was like, eh? you know, and two years later now, she's only drinking red. And I'm like, okay, you know, but I'm always like, hey, let's mix it up a little bit. Let's toss it up and, and see what happens. Because I think it should be an adventure. Because what I like about it is that there's such a huge wide world of it, you know. I mean, even if, you know, if you like Chardonnays, you'll have uh, different experiences from a Chardonnay made in Australia to California or South African Chardonnay, you know. So there's so much opportunity to learn so many things. Right. Um, is there an easy transition to white wine? Like I only drink red. I'm one of those people. I'm like, I hate white wine. I can't do it. Is there a, a, a bridge I could cross to get there easier that I should be trying? I, I think, I don't know. I, I think that's a, I, oh God, you're a red wine snob. Oh dear. I am. Uh, I think it just, I think you just need to try, try some that are out there, try a different variety of them, maybe get um, six different types of whites and then just, you know, taste one, drink some water, taste the other, which one do you like, which one don't you definitely like, then throw that off the table and then you whistle your way through it. They all have very different personalities. So I think it also, it just depends on what you're feeling, to be honest. Um, whether you also want to start with dry whites or you're going to try maybe going to the sweet side. So. It's really dependent on you. Right. It's your adventure. Okay. I'm going to have to try that adventure because mm -hmm. on, on hot days, I'll still drink my red wine. And that's definitely difficult mm -hmm. when I, you know. Um, here, because Botswana is a desert, we just have no shame. We just put it in the freezer. We just, <laughs> we drink the reds and cold, like just cold. <laughs> as cold as a white. That's what we do. I'm a snob when I go to a restaurant. I can tell if they're giving me wine from a bottle that was opened yesterday. And I'll immediately send it back. Like I can't. I, I that that is so weird because I was I read the story uh, a few weeks ago about these Wall Street guys that pay two thousand dollars for a bottle of wine and then they served a bottle of wine that cost less than twenty dollars and they couldn't tell the difference. Well, I don't know that I could there. There I might not yeah. tell the difference. I might fail that one, but I could tell when it's been open a day before for the most part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I I yeah, but I do love my wine. Is there a difference? You can't just judge it by the price, though. You can't say it's a finer wine. No, you can't. Absolutely, you can't. Um, I think what it is when it comes to, I think the best way to, to judge a wine is, is with your palate. Do you like it? That's it. You know, price point can mean a lot of things, but do you like it? Do you actually enjoy it? Um, and I think when it comes to price point, the only thing that I will say is don't keep it. Like, if it's, if it's, if it's that cheap, finish it in one day. 
because afterwards it's going to be really bad. But I always say to my friends who are like, oh my gosh, you know, we bought this expensive wine, so it's going to be great. I'm always like, no, 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 that's not always, you know, um, a, a good indicator whether wine's going to be great, you know, because there's some vineyards that are producing really amazing wine at reasonable price points, you know, and it's really all, I mean, the, the quality of wine is affected by many things. It's affected by, you know, the the maker of the wine, the person who's actually doing the mixing of it, the production of it. It's affected by the weather, it's affected by the soil, you know, it's affected by, you know, the cork sometimes, you know, so that's why I always say to people, you know, if you taste a wine and you love it, go buy 12 bottles of it, because there's no guarantee that that exact bottle from that year is going to taste the same as another one from another year. There's no guarantee. Well, I know you have to run. So to finish this up, is there a particular wine uh, that somebody can go out that best uh, brings out your characteristics? Oh, God. My characteristics. That depends on which day it is. <laughs> let's let's go with a, a good day. <laughs> um, I would say, well, I, I, I would say that my favorite um, wine is a Pinotage. Um, Pinotage is the girl that everyone wants, you know, athletic, smart, you know, compassionate, all of those things. And, and I, I love the way that it tastes. It's a very intense red. And, um, and the other thing that I think distinguishes it from a lot of other wines is when you open the bottle, the smell is just amazing. It actually, it actually made a friend that I have that knows nothing about wine turn around and say, what is that smell? And I was like, is that smelly, you know? And so that's that, That's what I would say. I would say everyone should definitely try Pinotage, but it shouldn't be your go-to, especially if you are a young wine drinker. I'd actually say for people that don't really have much experience with reds, they should actually try, you know, maybe uh, Pinot Noir because it's a bit lighter on the tongue. Yes, I definitely like the lighter, but you know, there's always a, uh, when I'm having red meats, the, the darker seems to be, be mm. more tasteful. Am I correct in that or am I just... <laughs> Mm -hmm. No, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> Got a little bit. <laughs> well, thank you. This has been Second Scene with me, Michael. And thank you, Nicolette. It's been a joy to talk to you for the past hour. Um, you can find your book on Amazon, Wine for Mere Mortals, or you can visit the website, wineformeremortals.com. Um, if you want more no-nonsense advice or free resume help, free mental health assistance, and so much more, there's seriously no catch, and it's completely confidential. So please contact us at dweebsglobal.org to get help for free. Um, is there any other websites that you'd like to plug? Oh, dear. No. <laughs> the wrong thing to ask me right now because my mind is scrambled. So. <laughs> I think let's stick to the wine book for now. Wine for mere mortals.com. It's on Amazon. So get it today. 